Coming to you from Strings and Things Studio in Ventura, California, this is the Strings Unraveled Book Club. Hello, everybody. Howdy. How are you? Just hunky dory. Yeah, everybody good? I'm going to make a little bit of a rattle because I forgot to get my yarn out of my bag. Okay. So. That's, accept- gonna, that's acceptable. Let me just do that now. Sounds I would ask you what you're working on, but it's not that podcast, so you got to save it for two weeks from now. <laughs> yeah. And it might be in a different category than you see it. Oh. Because, yeah. But we'll, that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> um, so today we are discussing the modern classic novel by Amy Tan, The Joy Luck Club. Um, I picked this particular book because May is um, Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So I wanted to pick a book that focused on um, like an Asian American uh, family or heritage or story or something like that. Um, And I had never read the Joy Luck Club and I had also never seen the movie. So um, I have a somewhat longer synopsis just because i didn't want to give just the basic like back of the book cover um so it's a little bit longer so bear with me if you haven't read it or if you need a little refresher um it says this is from spark notes um the joy luck club contains 16 interwoven stories about conflicts between chinese immigrant mothers and their american raised daughters the book hinges on jing mei's um trip to china to meet her half-sister twins the half-sisters remained behind in China because Jingmei's mother, Suyan, was forced to leave them on the roadside during their desperate flight from Japan's invasion during World War II. She was born to a different father years later in America. Her mother intended to return to China for her daughters, but failed to find them before her death. Jingmei has taken her mother's place playing Mahjong in a weekly gathering of her mother. Her mother had organized in China and revived in San Francisco the Joy Luck Club. The club's other members, Lindo, Yingying, and Ann May, are three of her mother's oldest friends and fellow immigrants. They tell Jing Mei just before Suyan died she had proceeded, she had succeeded in locating the address of her long-lost daughters. These three women repeatedly urge her to travel to China and tell her sisters about their mother's life, but she wonders whether she is capable of telling her mother's story, and the three older women fear that her doubts may be justified. They fear that her their own daughters, like Jing Mei, may not know or appreciate the stories of their mother's lives. The novel is composed of four sections, each of which contain four separate narratives. In the first four stories of the book, the mothers, speaking in turn, recall with astonishing clarity their relationships with their own mothers, and they worry that their daughter's recollections of them will never possess the same intensity. In the second section, these daughters, Waverly, Jingmei, Lena, and Rose, relate their recollections of childhood relationships with their mothers with great lucidity and force with which they tell their stories, and it proves their mother's fears to be at least partially unfounded. In the third group of stories, their search for solutions inevitably... Oh, excuse me. In in the third group of stories, the four daughters narrate their adult dilemmas, troubles in marriage, and with their careers, although they believe that their mother's antiquated ideas do not pertain to their own very American lifestyles, their search for solutions inevitably bring them back to their relationships with the older generation. In the final group of stories, the mothers struggle to offer solutions and support their daughters in the process learning more about themselves. Lino, Lindo um, recognizes through her daughter Waverly that she has been irrevocably changed by American culture. <coughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yingying realizes that Lena has unwittingly followed her passive example in her marriage to Harold. Anne May realizes that Rose has not completely understood the lessons intended to teach her about faith and hope. Although Jingmei fears that she cannot adequately portray her mother's life, Suyan's story permits the novel via her daughter's voice. She speaks for Suyan in the first and fourth sections, the two mother sections of the novel. Suyan's story is representative of the struggle to maintain the mother-daughter bond across cultural and generational gaps. By telling the story as her mother's daughter, she enacts and cements the very bond with, with the subject of Suyan's story. When Jingmei finally travels to China and helps her half-sisters to know a mother they cannot remember, she forces, she forges two other mother-daughter bonds as well. 
Her journey represents a reconciliation between Suyan's two lives, between two cultures, and between mother and daughter. This enables Jingmei to bring closure and resolution to her mother's story, but also to her own. In addition, the journey brings hope to two other members, to the other members of the Joy Luck Club, that they too can reconcile the oppositions in their lives between past and present, between cultures and between generations. So, um, like I said before, I had never read this, but if I recall correctly, you guys may have. I read it. Yes. Uh huh. Which I it was so like. So long ago, because it would have been when this movie was new. So I would have been like, yeah, twelve or thirteen when I read it. Uh-huh. So doesn't even count. <laughs> so it was mostly new. Yes, or at least you know, not well remembered. Yeah. I only I thought I'd read it. I hadn't. I only knew the movie. Well, there you go. And I'd only seen that once, and a lot of the information was like gone. Uh-huh. So um, it was basically new. So I. I had never read it or seen the movie, so I finished it a couple days ago, and then this morning I watched the movie to like, sort of cement things in my mind, and um, it helped kind of recognize you know, the relationships, because it's written in a lot of different perspectives. Um, I'm going to jump into the first question here that I have. It says, um, what are your thoughts on the structure of the novel? It's not traditionally told by one narrator, but the stories are very intricately connected. How did that affect your reading experience? What are some of the differences you noticed in the way that you read this book as opposed to other novels or short story collections? Well, I mean, it's an, it is an interesting structure because it is a novel and short stories. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I found myself, I, I was grateful for the beginning to tell us who each person was. Yeah, and then I had to go back and say like, okay. I had dog-eared the page that was like the mothers and the daughters, yes. so I could go back and be like, okay, Anne May and Rose, that's mother, you know, whatever. Yeah, like Lena belongs to the one who wished on the moon. Yes. Um, no, I uh, can't remember which one was the girl with the scar, and Waverly belongs to the mother who had the young marriage. Yep. Um, Lindo. What's the one with the scar? That's Anne May. Anne May. So this morning, before I watched the movie, I did some homework for myself because I, too, was struggling between the relationships and which one goes with which. So I went chapter by chapter through the book, and I made myself a list on my computer of each of the characters. And I gave myself, like, a sentence about each chapter. Like, this is the story about the moon lady. This is the story about whatever. So I could see, like, line by line, this is the mom, this is the daughter. And it helped so much, like, clarify things for me. So It's um, so informative to like remember their stories as young women and little girls mm-hmm. because that colors our whole lives. Yeah. So it's so important to go back and have that reference to understand how I should be like coloring the chapter, whatever chapter or story they're telling us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was, it wasn't that it was difficult to read because no. I got through it really quickly, mm-hmm. but it was a little difficult sometimes to keep track of, which dot like I had a trouble of like okay whose mom is like what what's her story and yeah. because they all appear in each other's stories you yep. know a lot of them is, if it's the daughter's story it's told from her perspective but her mother's there or if it's the mother's story it starts off thinking about her daughter spending time with her daughter and then you're remembering the past and some other thing that happened so it was effective in that you got to learn each of these characters but at some point it was I had to keep going back and be like what happened like previously on Anne May's life, like or whichever one, I had to keep going back and reminding myself. But it's a little Russian novel esque. Yeah, that you have to keep a character chart, even though there's yes. not that many characters. I mean, it's just... eight different characters. Yeah, but they're woven in such a way that you want to not lose the fluidity. But right. um, remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so it says Amy Tan's work has been highly anthologized for students and her books, especially this one, are read in more than 30 countries around the world. Why do you think this book has such a universal appeal? What are some, some of the elements of the plot and aspects of the characters that make so many different kinds of people want to read it? I don't know if so many different kinds of people want to read it. I think that this book definitely has a feminine appeal. <laughs> yes. If you have a mother or a daughter or are a daughter, you know, it's it's about mothers and daughters. And I, in fact, know that Kevin's teachers, <laughs> he went to an all-boys school that uh-huh. had some mixed um, gender classes. And I know that his male reading teacher let them sub something else in. 
I can understand <laughs> no. that a teenage boy might not want to, or uh, might not be that enthralled by yeah. it. <laughs> but um, I was listening to this um, like the week leading up to Mother's Day and over Mother's Day and then following. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I can barely get through it because it's so like, it is a universal mother-daughter experience, you know? Mm-hmm. If we're not all mothers, we are all daughters. Right. So there's much to identify with. And why are our relationships with our mothers so wrought? Or just just complicated, you know? Yeah. It's, it's an interesting dynamic, and it's it's hard to, to pinpoint exactly, but um, it's obvious that a lot of different people would identify with... I mean, there's eight different people and eight different perspectives you're going to identify with somebody, I would guess. Well, I think this book is very effective at bridging gaps. Uh-huh. So, like, in the spirit of recognizing um, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, like, there's a lot I don't understand about the perspective mm-hmm. of, of coming of age in America, but I can understand a difficult relationship with your mother. Right, right. <laughs> and so it gives insight, and can, but gives you a place to connect no matter what your experience is. Like maybe you're a young Chinese woman reading this book in, in China. Like uh-huh. you don't know what it's like for, to grow up in America, but, um, you, yeah. but you know what it's like to have a Chinese mother. Right. <laughs> right. Um, this question says, although the women in the Joy Luck Club are Chinese or Chinese American and their heritage plays an important part in their stories, they also have experiences that all of us face. So kind of like what we were talking about, regardless of culture, even today, they struggle with raising their children they contend with unhappy marriages. They cope with difficult financial circumstances. They are disheartened by bad luck. Um, which of the eight main characters do you identify with the most? Or maybe, like, whose story, like, sticks out most in your mind? I would I would say that I found um, Jing Mei's story most compelling. Not that I have long-lost twin sisters in a different country or... <laughs> You know, I, I'm not like going back to a homeland I've never been to before that all my heritage is from, but her relationship with her mother was such that like, you know so much about Su Yan's life, even though she doesn't tell you any of the story herself. Mm-hmm. It's either told by her daughter or by her husband. Um, but Jing Mei deals with the fact that she feels like she's not successful or that she's not as far ahead in life as, you know, her contemporaries, the other daughters of the other members of the club um may or may not be more successful than her or whatever you know but her mother loves her anyway and she's like it doesn't matter to me how successful you are necessarily but i have hope that you will be a successful person and it's not that i don't feel like i'm a successful person but like she is not fulfilling i think the roles that her parents expected her to um she's unmarried she doesn't feel like she's doing you know, exceptional in her career. I think the other daughters, well, a lot of them either had children. I don't have children. And Jing Mei is unmarried and doesn't have children. Um, I am married, but I don't have children. Um, I, 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 <laughs> um, I'm trying to look at the chapters. That's okay. You can. I have the novel, so you can leaf through it if you look want. Look at the book. I know. <laughs> um, so I, I found her story most compelling because it bookends, you know, the novel you, you learn about in the beginning, how she learns about her family and her mother after the fact, after she's already passed away. And then at the end, she comes to term with the fact that she has to pass on the story of her mother and, and share the knowledge of her mother with these other two people who don't know anything about her. So it's important to her to learn about her family while she still can, because at the beginning, her aunties are like, what do you mean you don't know anything? Like, she's your mom. You Tell them tell them what you know. And she's like, I don't really know anything. So her learning how to tell the story of her mother, I thought, was really compelling. And, and um, I don't know. I just really liked I I feel like I connected most with her. I can't say that I actually can connect with any of these women. <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't, I don't think I'm yeah, like say, one-on-one. Say, like, I think I'm, you know, so-and-so. Yeah. But. There's something that makes me want to keep distance from all of their stories, honestly. I don't know if it's, like, an emotional volatility of it. Uh-huh. Like, like they're all electric stories about mother-daughter relationships. Sure. And I not, like, I I feel like I have to protect myself 
a little bit from it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means, but um, that's reasonable. I like them all. Like all their stories are intense. I mean, I think maybe Anne May and um, Rose and Rose's relationship mm-hmm. because of the loss of her little brother Bing. Yeah, I think that you have to be careful as a of a parent of multiple children to not like there's this interconnectedness right. that you need to have to just survive where you have older children looking over younger children. Uh-huh. But you should never like put the Completely life of rely. another child yeah. <laughs> into the hands of your children. Yeah. That was I mean, that's so tragic. The loss of a child. It's so that getting in that emotional space to me is so terrifying. Yeah. And it was so beautifully told and how the whole family could ever recover from being being lost. Yeah, that was pretty difficult. A lot of story of the stories, um, especially in the mother's lives were difficult to read i because my situation i didn't really have that mother-daughter connection with them and being a mom of sons i i don't have daughters as far as you know initially Mm -hmm. biology um but i kind of connected a little bit with lindo because we were a homeschool mom and i felt the weight of you know, my children's futures are in my hands. So I have to make sure that they have as many opportunities as I can do, you know, with it, like I did this more with the firstborn and I don't know if it's just a firstborn thing. Um, I relaxed more with the second one and with the third one, but with the first one, you you know, you're like, okay, we're, this is what we're going to do in school. And, Oh, we're going to make sure you are well-rounded. So here's violin and here's sports and here's all these other things And so when she was trying to teach her daughter, I was looking at the the character list off of Mm -hmm. Spark Notes, um, the invisible strength to her daughter by trying to give her skills, I felt like, but yet she undermined her daughter. Yeah. And I feel like I connect with both of those because when you, it's, you feel the weight of, as a as a parent that your children's success is a reflection of how especially as a homeschool mom you know i'm their teacher if they didn't have the skills or those opportunities that's on me but on the other hand i think my oldest kind of got pushed into things that he didn't really want to do that you know we we did not mm-hmm. after a certain point continue with soccer because that's just not where i wanted to be um we stopped the violin lessons i mean after six years but yeah, but because you need to focus on school, but I, and I, there's been mother, uh, mother's days where he has said, thank you for, you know, you know, you kids write your, write notes for you, mm-hmm. you know, and they're like, thank you for kicking my butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, at least I didn't ruin that. But you know, there is a lot of, you do feel like I don't want to be this helicopter parent. They need to be able to fall at the same time. They kind of got to get outside and have the opportunity to fall. Sure. You know, so it's, it's it was a balance. Yeah. Um, you're far less overbearing than Linda. Um, <laughs> their story was, was, oh, go ahead. Having a mother who was completely unattached to yeah. me, detached. I was, it's, it was a balance of don't run everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, by the, my, my third child would probably say you didn't do enough, <laughs> you know, cause then I was much, le- much more right, hands off. Right. Don't ask. Just it's don't like, ask them. Yeah. yeah there's always plan. something that your mom did wrong that your mom has no yeah, idea. She yeah. Did you know what? Honestly, it's a really hard job. Yeah. I can, I <laughs> you know, can and it. being a homeschool parent, I was like, you, when people say, should I, I'm like, yeah, I can't answer that question. It's a very, very hard question. And if you're okay with 80% tears, and 20 percent you know feeling good then you know yeah yeah my uh my uh childhood was was far less structured i only i was never pushed into doing anything except if i wanted to do it like i i wanted to play soccer because my friends played soccer and i played one year and i was like i hate soccer my parents were like i don't care fine like if you don't want to play soccer that's fine they made me finish the year but because they paid for it (laughs) but i didn't have to you know, keep going if I didn't want to. I didn't do extracurricular activities because I was a lazy high schooler. But now I'm like, well, why didn't you like make me do anything? Like, why didn't I could have learned an instrument? And I tried to learn an instrument, but I mean, I could have 
I could have, I think every kid's like, I could have been a prodigy mom. Why didn't you make me whatever? <laughs> yeah, like I'm the opposite of Jing Mei. Like, I knew I could be great at anything I wanted yes. to do. And my mom's like, yeah. Ballet? No. <laughs> Piano? No. Because <laughs> as a parent, whatever you're doing to help that child do that is adding a ton more work on your part. Yeah. Like when my middle son wanted to be part of um, debate. That means he was too young to have a license, so I had to drive into town two evenings a week so he could practice. And then when it was tournament season, and we only did this for one year, then we had to drive and pack up the whole family for a week to be down at, at, in Orange County for a week-long debate. It's like, okay, and try to juggle school with mm-hmm. the other kids. I'm like, mm, I'm really glad that you don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Because it's a ton of work. I've begged my children to do things, and so far, none of them want to do anything. So, But you didn't make them do anything. I'm making Mirabella do something right now, but I'm not ready to talk about it. We'll see if she <laughs> likes it. Maybe I'll talk about it in the next podcast. Um, she wanted to see if I would make her brother do it, too. Oh, now I'm intrigued. <laughs> um, you also, like, you celebrate your child's successes. And I appreciate both of your perspectives because you're both mothers and I'm not. I only have the perspective of a daughter. But you no, know, I didn't really read this to connect with, like, I wasn't connecting with the mother. No. I mean, they their, uh, their perspective is very different from their upbringing than our American yes. perspective is. So Something you do with your kids that I didn't do. You have a ton of fun with your kids. Oh, well, we try. I mean, yeah. you get them, you bring your creative arts and you teach them because I see oh, them. You do that with your kids. Nah, nah, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> not, I was more about the school, the book learning part, but I really appreciate that when your kids are, they know how to sew with a sewing machine. Yeah. They can fix things that they have a can-do attitude. At least they exhibit that when I'm around. <laughs> well, <laughs> well you both you. taught your children you know, Karen, you taught, you actually taught them school. Like you yeah. were their teacher. Oh, so I can hard. imagine by the end of the day, you wouldn't have so energy hard. to do anything else. Like, oh, no, no, I no. get it. <laughs> housework. It? I'm the fun parent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Housework. I'm sorry. I can do school or I can do housework. And, uh, I, I didn't mind giving that up. No, no. <laughs> My husband might've minded, but you know, that's All why he... balance. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But like you didn't, you 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 celebrate your children's successes, but you don't parade them around town, going like, "Look, this is my <laughs> this is my debate champion son." Aren't you like, look at how wonderful he is? And maybe like a little tiny bit, but you know, <laughs> there are some years. people that early on in our in our teaching might not be friends with me anymore because <laughs> I was kind of that way in the beginning oh. because my kids it made it look so easy. You know, it's it can't be hard for your kids. Okay, don't ever do that. You yeah. will lose friends. Um, hopefully I'm a much better, smarter person now and I apologize, but I don't think any of them are listening, but for the, the for the younger, yeah. overly proud, I mean, I was proud of my, my, my kids successes. I did not take, um, credit for them because it's important that yeah. they get the credit of their, of their labor. But at the same time, I might've, I might've said, look how smart my son is. <laughs> well, I think that's natural. You know, because you are proud of them, but I can see why Waverly would resent her mother so much because she didn't get to celebrate her, her chess success because her mother celebrated it for her. Yeah. You know, it's, it's gotta, it, yeah. It's not just a, it's not the how, look how smart, it's how much smarter. Yeah. It's the er that is unkind. Yeah. Um, speaking of Waverly and her mother, um, one of these questions says, da, 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 da. while Waverly was a prodigy and grew up to be successful in her career, Jingmei, or June as she's called in America, has more difficulty. Her parents also wished for her to be a genius, as if hard work alone could will it. Using Jingwu's chapter, The Best Quality, as a platform, or not, um, discuss the differences between the daughters of the members of the Joy Luck Club. What does the dinner scene between Waverly and June say about each of their characters? Oof. Um, how is their behavior influenced by family and culture? So the dinner scene, they are adults, you know, children now. They're at dinner with their parents, and uh, Waverly's there with her daughter and fiance, I think, at this point. And she subtly, or not so subtly, passive aggressively puts down 
June in various ways. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and insinuates that she's not as successful as her. And then when June decides to stand mm. up for herself, it does not go well oh. because Waverly's way better at, Poor June. at, you know, standing up for herself than June is. Lawyer. So she kind of runs all over her. Mm, tax preparing. No way. I thought she was a lawyer. No, she's, she's the copywriter. Yeah. No. Oh. Waverly is a tax accountant. Waverly is a tax accountant. June is the copywriter. Yes. Got it. Yep. Um, There's lawyer... an architect, tax accountant, copywriter. Yeah. It's Lena is the architect. Lena is the architect. Um. Hold on one second. Waverly is the tax accountant. Um. Rose don't know if we or if i can remember if we learn what her job is i don't know if she necessarily she has mostly one mostly talks about her husband i think she stays home and, and takes care of the house a lot when she's married and i don't know what her job necessarily yeah, I don't is i think we know rose's job um and then jing is the copywriter so she writes copy for um waverly's company and waverly says it's not good enough you're not stylish enough you're not you know it's you're just not good enough and, and then her mother agreed. Well, her oh. mother agreed, but <laughs> in a way, I think, so in the movie, it's done well, because she says, like, well, you know, you just can't teach style, which June Ouch. takes as, like, wow, thanks, Mom. Yeah. But in then there's a separate scene where they're in the kitchen together washing dishes, and her something. mom is like, well, you, like, your heart is so much better than hers. Obviously, you took the, the lowest quality crab because that's what you thought was best and june or um waverly took the highest quality crap because she thinks that she deserves it like your heart's so much better than hers like you can't teach style in reference to june being more not not classier. i mean yeah classier it's like you can't teach kindness exactly june is a nat her she she if they were competing in a kindness contest waverly would lose so badly Yes. Well, that's a funny thing about Waverly is she resents her mother so much for portraying her the way she does. Yeah. But she has no problem wearing that mantle. Mm-mm. Like, I you're mean, not a genius like me. Yeah. <laughs> I can understand why she would act like that. <laughs> but not to not to blame the mom, is that also some of Waverly's competitive attitude? Well, she was competitive that way, maybe because of her brothers or just the yeah. dynamics of their home. I think she would be competitive or less secure. Some people are just more naturally competitive. Mm -hmm. So her mother acting that way probably brought it out in her a little bit more. Not that her mother is to blame for, you know, how she is as an adult because you're an adult now. But I don't think it helped. (laughs) Maybe it's the genetics. They both were competitive because Waverly's mom was just as competitive with June's mom. Yes, they were best friends and mortal enemies. The book says. <laughs> um, there's a a scene in the in the book and it's in the movie at the beginning. She's they're at the piano recital where June is like she's practiced with her piano teacher who's actually deaf and can't really help her, <laughs> and she's ready to go out on stage and play her little song and she does terribly because she doesn't know how to play the piano really that well. I really like how the movie portrayed him. <laughs> yes, he was really funny. I had to look up who that actor was. And I forgot to do so, but he looked so familiar in something that I had also recently watched. Mm-hmm. I, I, anyway, doesn't matter. Um, but he was great. But so she gets up there and plays her little song, and and her mother's so excited because she wants her to be a prodigy because she's competing with Lindo, you know, their her best friend slash mortal enemy. And then when she doesn't do well, she's like, oh, and Lin- and Lindo takes it and runs all over her with it, you know. Um, I'm just thinking about how. Rose doesn't have a job mm-hmm. and she's per- portrayed by the same actress who played Keiko on Star Trek Next Generation and that was pretty much her mm. was like I'm just a wife oh yeah until they eventually flush her out better well typecasting though at yeah. the same time <laughs> so Rose is Anne May's no Rose is I think that's right that's Anne May's yes Anne May's daughter, daughter. Um, and she marries a man who is like successful and handsome and he's like the star of her college that they go to she meets him and she's like oh i know exactly who you are and she and he's and he's actually a very nice man to her in the book he seemed like very flat 
Yeah, I mean, he's not that <laughs> exciting of a character, but he was kind to her. Um, and she, I think it's the classic, like, you can't love somebody fully unless you love yourself. She doesn't have, she's, she's without wood, her mother says. And wood is like your, mm-hmm. your, your inner strength, your, your, you know, she, she doesn't stand up for herself. So when she gets married to this, you know, rich, successful man, she takes on the mantle of, of being the rich, successful man's wife and and does everything for him. And she's like, you know, I do all these things for him. I don't even think he notices half the things I do for him because she just finds value in being the perfect wife to him. So when it all comes to a head, she's like, you know, I, I need to stand up for myself. They're getting divorced and he's served her divorce papers. And he's like, just sign these papers and we could be done with it. And she's like, actually, no, I want to keep my house. When she stands up for herself. Yeah. That's got to be my favorite. My other favorite moment is um, when Lena's mom stands up to her obnoxious husband. That's who I was actually thinking sounded meh in the book. Yes. Um, Harold. Yeah. Because he's like classically controlled and puppeted their life together too. Mm-hmm. Um, but when her mother's like, she doesn't like ice cream. Stop making her pay yes. for the ice cream. <laughs> Rose and Anne May. And then, um, so that's Lena. And Ying Ying is her mother. Um, so Lena knows that her, she thinks her, or her mother even says that she can see things before it happens. Like mm-hmm. she knows what's going to happen. So she comes to her daughter's new house and she's like, this house has, you know, it's like a bad omen. Like the, the table in her room is rickety and things are going to fall off of it. If you put one more thing on top, no wonder everything's going to fall over. And she's struggling with her husband and their finances and all that. And her mother knows exactly what's going on. Oh, yeah. And that's sort of like the the point of the whole of the whole book, I think, is 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 knowing each other. So how well the daughters know their mothers and they learn more about them through stories that their mothers tell them and how well the mothers know their daughters. And I think surprisingly so the daughters learn that their mothers actually know them pretty darn well because they help pretty much each of them either come out of their shell stand up for themselves, you know, uh, see that they're in a, in a relationship that isn't good for them. Like it, it, you, it's the relationship between the mothers and daughters that between each other that, you know, helps them see their value. And that's a big part of the whole, of the whole story is like recognizing your value as a person, as a woman. Well, I think that's actually what I, you know, what is so scary about mothers and daughters is that our daughters are what we wish for ourselves Uh and like we keep wishing these fulfillments for them that they that we didn't have for ourselves and that puts so much of your identity onto them Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then your daughter rejects that identity of you yeah for their own version of life which is right (laughs) and um like the opening story of the swan uh-huh. And being left with just the feather and how the mother telling that story like yearns to give the daughter the the feather so that the daughter could understand that that what right. this feather meant um and we're just never going to understand our mother's swan feather no <laughs> you can kind of get an idea of of what they want for you based on how they you know how they choose to uh show that yeah but there's always more well, and the daughters can never know their mothers the way we the readers exactly know their mothers no matter what effort or attempt just like we're never gonna know our mothers mm-hmm. that way either <laughs> yeah it's a uh, it's easy to to relate to the story like we said because it's it's something i think everybody who has a mother or has a daughter can relate to that feeling of like either not being good enough or not feeling like you are good enough. Like as a daughter, you know, you're like, well, you know, I might be disappointing my mother or my parents. And then the parents probably looking at that and being like, well, you're not a disappointment to me. You know, you are, you're this, you're that you succeeded here. You've done this, you've done that. And I'm proud of you for all of these amazing things. And maybe you didn't do this one thing, or maybe you didn't meet these expectations that I thought you were going to, but at least, you know, as long as they're like a happy person i think that's all you can really hope for but in you have a good mom katie yeah but you're Mm -hmm. coming away (laughs) well i mean 
I can recognize that that because this year my mom told me that she was disappointed in me. Like you know, you'd hope that the moms are like what you just described, but a lot of the time it's not. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom also listens to our podcast. Oh well, I mean, good, Linda, you're a good mom. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We all voted. We agree. And I'm thankful that I have a three sister. out of three. Yeah, three out of three people on around this table agree. Um, <laughs> Even unprompted, though. Yes. <laughs> um, I have a sister, so it's sort of split between the two I of told us. Her mom, that I think she's great. Because <laughs> obviously, your grandmother's awesome. Because your mom's awesome, and you're awesome. Well, anyway. Enough of the kitty phrase. Yeah, I I didn't expect this. (laughs) I was thinking about, though, that until the daughters have that conversation, they don't, until they get to a certain age or certain point Mm -hmm. where the mothers do say, this is what I really feel about you, they never know what their mothers, it's not just that they don't know their mothers, they don't really understand what their mothers see, how Mm -hmm. they see them. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think a lot of times in, in many different, you know, narratives, books, whatever, or even in real life, you're like, well, if you would just talk to each other, like, or if you just would say what you mean, but how hard is that to do? Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Exactly. You... And when does the opportunity naturally happen? Well, it doesn't. You have to force it to happen. And, it's and usually it, and it... it, and usually it's after something traumatic. <laughs> yeah. Or it, or it becomes something traumatic. Yes. Yeah. It's a tale as old as time, right? <laughs> True story. Um, so this question says, discuss the topic of marriage as it's represented. Each woman faces difficulty, difficult choices when it comes to marrying. Either Lindo being forced into an early union with a man she loathes. Yinging St. Clair starting over with a American man after being abandoned by her first husband. Or Rose, who's facing a divorce from a man whose family doesn't understand her. How are the daughters' romantic choices influenced, if by all, by their mothers? And who had fewer choices of their own? Ooh. I had a tough time keeping track of who, 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 who's, uh, yeah. who, who's connected, who? <laughs> who's connected in, in, in the case of whose father was, who's, the connecting the men to the wives and the daughters right because you don't really see because it's not a story about the fathers and daughters so they're not the father you don't get that father-daughter interaction to connect them sure june's father do we really yeah and only because his mother because his wife is gone right and you're right in the end yeah um so june's mother suyan was married before in china and then after the war I think her first husband has died because yes. she gets to where she's going and she doesn't find him. So that's yeah. how she comes to America. Um, I think she might have perhaps married for love twice. Yeah, it seemed like it. She mm-hmm. had a lot of good things to say about her first husband. Yeah. Um, or they weren't together long enough for it to turn sour. Who no. was it that had the husband that was a cheating lying scum? That was that um, was Lindo. No, Ying Ying. Ying. Yep. So she has like a fiery story. Yes. As a young woman. Yes. And is, is is she the one whose mother was like third wife or no, fourth that's wife? Anne May. Yeah. Oh, yeah so yeah, so, so let me just them. do a, a quick <laughs> thank you. Help me out. Stories. Let me just go over that real quick. So. I think Anne May's story is. I mean, Anne May and Rose. I guess to yeah. go back to that beginning, they are the one that feels most compelling to me. I think yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. good word to Anne use. Anne May had a hard life, um, or her mother had a hard life. So her mother was the one that was a concubine. She was the the fourth wife of this of this man. Her she was tricked into this marriage because they stole her virtue. Um, this man raped her, and mm-hmm. and she's with child with this man. So she's sort of forced into this marriage into becoming the fourth wife of this man and to hide her shame the second wife steals her son and raises him as her own and that's got to be horrible so her mother kills herself and leaves Anne May to sort of absorb her uh her spirit she says like mm-hmm. I'm 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 transferring my spirit onto you because I can't do anything with it basically what a spirit yeah um so Lindo um 
one sex. So she she's is match made. Yeah, yeah, she's match matchmakered when she's two <laughs> years old. They get married when she's sixteen, and her husband is younger than her, so he's fourteen or fifteen. Oh. Um, he doesn't want to sleep with her, obviously. I think that was so much more like compassionately portrayed in the book, uh huh, than in the film. yeah the the movie. He they make him out to be like a little snot nosed kid, mm-hmm. whereas in the book, I think it's insinuating that he's homosexual he doesn't want to be with her mm-hmm. and also they're so young like right. I mean, obviously maybe not even hit puberty yeah in the movie he looks like he's 12 years old um so she her mother-in-law is very overbearing she's like you have to give me grandbabies right now even though and her husband is lying to his mother and saying no i i i've I'm done good. what i can do it's not my <laughs> fault that i'm not that you don't have grandbabies and so she comes up with a plan to sort of lie her way and cheat her way out of the marriage by Which coming up with this. Yes. It was this, better than chess. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was great. This story about how the ancestors came to her and told her all of these things. And she's like, okay, you're out. Yep. Um, and then Ying Ying is the one who marries this, you know, fancy man who comes to her house and <laughs> she falls in love with him. And she's like, wow, this guy's cool. Um she becomes pregnant in the movie. Her story is portrayed a little bit differently. Um, she realizes her husband's cheating on her. And in the book, she has an abortion. And it's not... And that's her like gaining control over her husband and being like, I don't want to be in this marriage anymore. And they separate and she you know, goes to America. In the movie, she ha- she gives birth to the baby and she ends up drowning it. <gasps> It's horrible. Oh, they're both awful. It's Those horrible. Both awful. <laughs> she has like a mental breakdown and drowns her child because she she's didn't... like, this is the only thing yeah. that he cares about. Exactly. He cares he, about he his, loves son. his son. I will take his son away. Yeah. It's, it was hard to watch. Mentally. Uh, yeah. It was horrible. Wow. Yeah. But I feel like she, at least in the movie they portrayed, she wasn't mentally even there. She was just sort of. She was completely broken. She was completely broken and lost. And it, was, and it wasn't until she That's a startled and. That's a disservice to this character. Yeah. yeah. Because it, in the book, she is in possession of herself. And like, she is in the movie too later on. Mm-hmm. There's, there's like a snippet of time where Rose, her daughter, is trying to take care of her mother who's like depressed about this thing that mm-hmm. she's done in her past and she's like catatonic basically she's not she's not taking care of herself she won't speak to her she's just sitting in her room alone just like wasting away and then she comes to terms with the fact that like i gotta be a stronger person and basically like comes out of it but in the book that doesn't happen she 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 does have like a period as a hidden away yes 10 years always in possession though yes. like she is a surprising character because she's so like passive it seems Mm -hmm. in her her marriage to you know an american man who i don't think ever really connects they never really connect they have a very surface he really likes her oh yeah and she's (laughs) like well i guess i can marry this man and move to america this is what we're doing now all right she does take control of her story (laughs) and she sits around for 10 years at her like second cousin's home in the in the countryside like mourning what she's done and being depressed and you know and then she finally comes to and thinks like yeah i gotta take control of this she gets a job she meets an american man who like is uh, like adores her and she's like okay well i guess this is what i'm doing now and she goes <laughs> with it um i think that is all of the mother's stories basically so in talking about marriage um some of them had absolutely no control over their circumstances and then regained control of their lives some of them had horrible pasts and you know had to come to terms with the fact of what they've done and then there's the whole story about which we haven't really touched in on suyan's story of leaving china when japan is attacking and leaving her two daughters behind but that's the centerpiece of the book (laughs) she is walking to wherever her husband is which is very far away she has dysentery she's basically thinks she's dying she can't go any farther she's carrying her two daughters and she just can't go any farther she leaves them on the side of the road hoping that somebody will find them and take care of them yep i also saw the part that if she was on the side of the road if she dies next to her children Mm -hmm. they will not touch then her children she'll be dooming her children to die yeah 
because they'll be uh, because they'll be cursed because no one wants the spirit of the dead mother with right. the children. So when she crawled off to basically die and leave, left them alone, she felt she was giving them a chance or a mercy mm-hmm. so that so that sh- she no one would reject them because of her. And right. which is so self-sacrificing. It's it, it, it I know they don't portray it that way at first. They mm-hmm. portray like how could you abandon? It's like if I didn't they would die. Yeah. I think like um at the end of the book when we're hearing like how she left them, we don't know that. Like Mm-mm. we just know right. like in the initial telling of arriving with nothing, it sounds like it's just chattel that's been left along the roadside uh-huh. and, and things and the babies are part of those things that were lost along I the way. I think it's even insinuated that she killed them at some yeah. point. She's oh. you know, her her babies are dead and she yeah. shows up alone, you know, yep. because she couldn't care for them. Yep. And it's so heartbreaking, especially because at the end, it's her husband that's telling the story to her mm-hmm. daughter. It's like, well, no, actually, your mom's story is a lot more complicated than you think it is. Yep. Um, and her mother couldn't tell her that story herself. Mm-hmm. His part, his telling of that story is how I believe she had a second love marriage. Yeah, they seemed very genuinely in love with yeah. each other. He had, yeah, it was. That he could treat that story of hers with such tenderness. Yeah. She leaves them with all of the gold and you know anything valuable that she owns in a in a note that says you know if you find them this is where i am or this is where my husband is and you know she doesn't ever see them again she wakes up and she's in a you know in like a cart they're taking her to the hospital so that she can you know i'm not dead yet not die and she's freaking out because she wakes up being so far away she doesn't know where her daughters are now it's almost like she sacrificed for nothing. Yeah, it's like she'd rather it's like she'd rather be dead than know that she's alive and her babies could be alive too. And she doesn't know that they are and she searches her whole life to try and find them only to find them at the very end of her life. Which her daughter doesn't know about until her uh, friends tell her. And then that's the book end of the book and she has to go to China to meet her sisters and tell them mother's story basically but that's a lot to unpack too because she was learning her mother's story i mean it's like okay now she there's these siblings these sisters older sisters she didn't know she had Mm -hmm. she didn't find she couldn't Mm -hmm. talk to her mother she knew she had them she knew not till after not till after her mother died she knew of them but i don't think she she knew that her mother had children like at a young age, she her mother told her this but story, she but she doesn't know they're alive. Right, that's it. Yeah, because she used it as ammo when she was uh, mad at her. Yes, She's right. Like, I wish right. I was like, dead like your other two daughters. Oh, June. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but she. You're right. You're right. She you're did right. Not yeah. know that they Continue. were alive. Um, I lost track of where I was going. That's okay. Oh, sorry. We can move on. Well, it's a lot to unpack, is what you're saying. It's a lot. Whatever to Whatever un- direction you're taking. It's a lot it to unpack. She's. She, is. Also, she didn't know that they did not know that their her mother was dead because they're like, oh, by the way, you got to tell them yeah. about your mother and that she's dead because yeah. they're expecting weird they're the expecting movie. your yeah. mother to be there. And this was her journey actually in being able to. She wouldn't know what to say because she didn't know her mother the way she thought. Yeah. She how does she introduce them to a mother that she's just now learning about and couldn't appreciate until after she was gone. Which I think is the way of a lot of people's <laughs> relationships. Um, but yeah, um, I think it's Lindo is is the one who tells her like, well, no, actually, they don't know your mom's dead. You got to go tell them that when you show up in China. And she's like, um, excuse me? Like, can you <laughs> please write them and tell them? And she's like, no, sorry, go to China. <laughs> and so she goes and she shows up and she's like, hey, I'm your sister. Also, mom's dead. <laughs> and they're sad for a second before... She, they realize like her spirit lives on in her daughter, yeah. Yeah. and they are going to know them. They're they're going to know her mother through June, and that's her her duty. You know, learning what their names meant, yes. like as the as a way to like bring it all together. Uh huh. Um, I mean, they that there's two ways to say her mother's name, and one is like a great regret, and the other is a long held wish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um that their mother's long-held wish for her three daughters to be together mm-hmm. oh here it is what does jingmei mean your name is also special um 
jing, like excellent jing, not just good. It's something pure, essential, the best quality. Mm-hmm. Jing is a good is good leftover stuff when you take impurities out of something like gold or rice or salt. So what is left? Just pure essence. And may this is common may, as in may may younger sister. Mm-hmm. I think about this. My mother's long cherished wish. Me, the younger sister who was supposed to be the essence of the others. Yes. That's a lot to bear. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> and the girls are Chun Yu and Chun Hua, spring rain and spring flower. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's probably a, a bit of a load off her mind that she doesn't have to hold all that herself because her sisters are alive, you know. Yeah. That, that she's not just the the uh the best quality of whatever's left from them she's the best quality of whatever's left from her mother, you know, mm-hmm. that she can represent and tell them about her mother's life. So, um, it was very compelling. And I'm, I'm like bawling at the end of the movie yeah. this morning. Like, <laughs> and then I go downstairs and my eyes are all red and my mom's like, what are you doing up there? And I was like, I was watching a sad movie. <laughs> I was trying to watch this during my work break today. <laughs> so every time I come out of the office, my eyes are red. <laughs> like, what's the matter? Man? Nothing. Just barking. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed reading it. Um, I thought it, yeah. it it went pretty quickly for me because I was compelled to see what the next story had to mm-hmm. to tell. I read it sort of in two halves over two like weekends, and when I went back to it, I was worried I wouldn't remember what happened in the first half. But it was easy to sort of flip back and forth and and to see. I would like start and be like, okay, we're learning about you know, Lindo, let me like flip back to the previous chapter and see what she had to say then. Cause I couldn't exactly remember, but it was easy enough to pick up and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I would, uh, I think the movie was a good representation of the book in a lot of ways because the screenplay was written and adapted by the author. So, um, they did a pretty good job and all the actresses and actors in the movie are fantastic. Yep. Um, June is Mulan. Um, uh, <laughs> I can't remember her name, oh. but when she's Mingwa Ming Ming Wen. Exactly. That's who, it. See, I know who her is from kicking you know what on uh, yes. so many sh- so yep. many well and she was on Agents of Shield. Oh yeah. That's how I know. She was incredible, but I like she narrates the beginning of the book and I'm like, whose voice is that? Because she does the voice of Mulan, which was like mm-hmm. one of my favorites when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Oh my god, just I know exactly who that is. But yeah, <laughs> then she's on uh Mandalorian she's incredible like oh it's so good and a lot of the women I would like recognize I had IMDB up so I could like look back and be like oh yeah that's you know whatever mm-hmm. um so it was great I I thoroughly enjoyed it so thank you for uh for allowing me to pick a book that you may or may not have already read before because I enjoyed it well I think modern classic is a good yeah. way to describe this yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, that makes it Anne's turn to pick the book for June. So what are we reading? Well, I'm uh, taking a cue from your choice giving last time. Uh-huh. I also went to Timber um, yesterday uh-huh. and picked books. So they lured me in with their new releases of Stacey Abrams' While Justice Sleeps. Uh-huh. And then I also saw that they had How Much of These Hills Are is Gold, which is a book I wanted to read for the last year. Uh-huh. Um. How much of these hills is gold is sort of, I think it's back to taking it back to like the Western theme. Um, Ba dies in the night. Ma is already gone. Newly orphaned children of immigrants Lucy and Sam must flee the brutality of the remote town at the edge of an expanding country. They set off to bury their father in the only way that will set them free from their past. Along the way, they encounter buffalo bones, tiger paw prints, and specters of of a ravaged landscape as well as family secrets, sibling rivalry, and glimpses of a different kind of future. Both epic and intimate, blending Chinese symbolism and reimagined history with fiercely original language and storytelling, How Much of These Hills is Gold is a haunting adventure story, an unforgettable sibling story, and an exploration of race and belonging. But page by page, it is the mem- memories that bind and divide families the unquenchable yearning for home so it's going to be like very like similar just a look into the history as what we just finished but i think what's really compelling and drew me to this book is it's the untold stories of the building of our country because these Mm -hmm. this is a chinese family on i think pushing into the west and how much you know (laughs) i remember picking up author um 
C Pam Zhang. Oh, the Zang. letter C. Yeah. I remember picking up Shang. that book at Timber Shang. and almost Shang. buying it because I was like, well, this sounds like something. Yeah, I've been I've been wanting to read this book since it came out. It's the 2020 Booker Prize. Um, so it's it new. Was, yeah. It, I don't think it won, but it um, was up for that list. Uh-huh. And then we have Stacey Abrams, which I have not read any of her books before. This is a... I didn't know she was an author. I heard that uh-huh. when the election was going on, that she like started out as a romance novelist. Okay. I mean, she's so much more dynamic than yes. just that. <laughs> but of her dynamism, she's a writer. And she's being interviewed a lot that this book's been around, like, in her psyche for a long, long time. But she does so much, it uh-huh. got, like, tabled yeah, she's and set a bit, aside. She's a very busy lady. Yep. Um, if you don't know who Stacey Abrams is, she is a political powerhouse from Georgia. She ran for um, their governor. She's transforming their mm. election um, scene, or at least fighting for rights. Um, so... Stacey Abrams' political thriller. Mm-hmm. I'm not much a romance novel reader, so I'm excited to go for a thriller uh-huh. mystery. Yeah. Or historic family saga. I'm up for either one, whichever you you're more excited about. Okay. I'm excited about both of them. I'm excited Maybe a little about more this one, but this is brand new. This one being uh, the Pills and Gold, and the other one being the political thriller. While Justice Sleeps. Yes. I'm excited for both. But I am excited to read something from someone who is in the moment, who is a powerhouse in the moment today, too. So I am voting for the Stacey for, Abrams. For Stacey Abrams. Yeah, let's do it. All right, Stacey Abrams. Well, Justice Sleeps. Is it an is, audible? It is on audible. Awesome. Nice. Probably narrated by her or someone. I, it with is. A great voice. Yeah. Nice. I listen to because this is also not really my genre, but I definitely want to read a book by her. Yeah, I don't this think I've ever read anything like that. Me. I think it's gonna be like, I don't know. In the spirit of, I have no idea. I'm not gonna take any good, preconceptions. But it is this. fiction, not yeah. nonfiction. Yeah, it's a fiction. It'll be okay. a good a change novel. of pace for us too because we haven't read anything yeah. like that before. Yeah. So. Good yeah. point. Good point. I'm on board. So I was into buying both those books. I'm. Um, Good deal with either choice. Well, if you want to pick up a copy, you can go visit our friends at Timber Books yes. and get one for yourself. Yeah. I love that place. Yeah. Uh, and the coffee place next to it is really great, too. I haven't the coffee but yet. I'm always busy when I go and I'm always like in a hurry. Yeah. And and I, is I, it Singing I, Sun? Yeah. Singing Sun. And yeah. you can order on the app. You can order mm. ahead of time. Mm. Well, maybe next time. Yeah. So. I hit Super Buzzy and then I hit. It's um, like boom, 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 Timber. three in a row. Yeah. You could go to Super Buzzy, the coffee shop. and t- I've told people, yeah. like, if you want to treat yourself to a nice afternoon. Yeah. Go downtown. And yeah. it's you walk mid-town. in and yeah, it's mid-town. got all the good good vibey feels of an older bookstore with with the arch and the, the really high shelves with the attached the girl ladders. That, that works there, or at least the last two times I have been there, she has either like of the books I've picked out, she's been like, Oh, that's a great book. I just finished it or like the last time she was like, That's my favorite novel I've ever read and I was like, This is uh, great. Next time I show up I'm gonna be like, Please tell me what to read, man. I thought about doing that when I went in. <laughs> I did too. I was like, this is what I like. Tell me what to read. It's overwhelming. I knew that I went there because they, I follow them on Instagram and they had shown what their new releases were. So uh-huh. I was like, well, I have Stacey Abrams books. I'll go there and pick yeah. it up there. Um. Okay. Well, you want to do anything else we've read recently? I have not read much this I am like, I started this book series. There's six in the series, and I started it a week ago, and I'm halfway through book five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're, short, they're, shorter, they're shorter stories <laughs> um, about the Murderbot Diaries. Okay. He's a, he's a, he's a, like, he's a, a, a he's got some human parts, but he's mostly, he's a, a like a murder body security for hire, but he kind of gets sick of killing, and he sort of hacks his system. And really, all he wants to watch is soap operas all day. Oh <laughs> but he ends up having to protect these stupid humans. It's <laughs> that... like if Bender from Futurama got a novel series. It's totally it fun. Like. <laughs> that, and I'm reading a really great book called We Are Each Other's Harvests. And it talks about their short stories and uh, with lots of contributors about the um, the foundation of black farming in mm-hmm. America and how much our system and it was really cool because I picked it up from Timber Bucks. I was really excited and I made a little post about it. And one of the um one of the contributors uh liked my thing and so now she and I follow her stuff and nice. I she's got the the contributors have got these great stories that you can continue to learn about. Uh-huh. It's cool. 
Um, I have not really read a whole lot since I just have been working on this book. Um, so I don't have anything. I have a, a couple of books on my list of things that I'm excited about and want to read and a book that I have started that this girl at Timber Books told me was her favorite novel, but I'm not ready to discuss it yet because I'm not that far <laughs> into it. So I have nothing to contribute to this section of no, our podcast. Not this time. Well, I started Roxanne Gay's um, essays um, called Hunger mm-hmm. and it's mm. intense. It's very good as I suspected because yeah. I've heard her interviewed and she's wonderful to listen to, but um, it's raw. Yeah. <laughs> but it's very good. I just what kind of book her. is it? It's um, like personal essays, like mm. a memoir of, of telling mm. a, what it is to live in her body. Mm. Wow. And it's really good. Okay. But it's like, I have to like take little bites because it's intense. Take breaks. <laughs> yeah. It's really good though. Like God bless her for being so exposed in, in this story time. Mm-hmm. Well, we will see you next month for While Justice Sleeps by Stacey Abrams. So pick up a copy and read it. And also, I should say this more often, if you have a recommendation of a book that you really like, maybe we haven't discussed, and you would like to hear us talk about it, like, let us know. Yeah. We're, we're always looking for recommendations, even if it's not something we discuss on the podcast, you know, personal recommendations. We just like for, reading books. Yeah, we all like reading, <laughs> oh, yeah. so that would be awesome. Um, and we'll see you in a couple weeks for our regular you know, podcast where we can figure out what Karen's working on because it looks very exciting, but she's not allowed to talk about it right now and everybody else too. But um, I think that's it. So we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. Bye.